reading from Exodus chapter 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Thank you, Claire. Um, Just before uh, Marco speaks, let me just pray for him. Heavenly Father, we pray for our brother Marco, Lord, that you would be kind to, to speak through him, Lord, by your spirit. Father, thank you that you've helped him to understand your word afresh this week. And Father, pray that you would similarly help us to have hearts and minds set to understand uh, your word, we pray. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Claire. Hi, everyone. Uh, I wanted to start before we get into the Exodus passage. If I could ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Psalm 119. That's Psalm 119 and verse 18. I want us to pray just this one verse together, verse 18, before we hear God's word preached. Um, I know between us we use a good number of different Bible translations, so the wording will be a little different from one to another. That's no problem. Just read it as it is in your translation. Uh, You've probably found it by now. Uh, In a moment, I'm going to read it. That's Psalm 119, verse 18. And as I read it, I'm going to make it my prayer from my heart and trust that you will do the same. Make it your prayer from your heart. So we'll begin by saying, Father God in heaven, and then reading verse 18, and make it your prayer as you do so. So here goes. Father God in heaven, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Amen. Amen. Now, I wonder, did that prayer strike you as a bit strange? Or let me ask it differently. Where do you normally go to behold wondrous things? Perhaps, like me, you sometimes look up at the night sky, beholding the wonder of it all, the vast spaces, the deep darkness, the thousands of stars. It's easy to join with David in saying, as he does in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But the law, or the writer of Psalm 119 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. But the law isn't where we, we, where we usually look for wondrous things. Most lawyers don't even think the law a wondrous thing. Well, uh, of course, the psalmist is talking about God's law, not the law of England or of any other land. But even then, Most, or at least many, Christians don't seem to think God's law a wondrous thing, 
any more than most people think the law of their land a wondrous thing. Well, friends, let's not have that be true of us. What God has spoken in his law is an expression of his character in the moral realm, just as much as the wonder of the night sky is an expression of his character in the physical realm. So my prayer for you this week has been that you will truly make the psalmist's prayer your own. And that as you do, the Holy Spirit will fan into flame in your heart a deeper love for God's law. So let me remind us where we are in our series and then tell you where we're going. Three weeks ago, you'll remember, uh, Jim began our short series looking at some of the ways God revealed himself in ancient times. He is the God who promises. So we saw through the story of Abraham and the covenant. And the week after that, we saw in the story of Joseph that, that God's promises will never fail because he provides all that's needed to keep his promises. Last week, we saw in the story of Moses that God is the God who redeems his chosen people, who sets them free from slavery to sin, free from sin, free to worship. And these are not just things that were once true of God thousands of years ago. No, through the prophet Malachi, God says of himself, I, the Lord, do not change. He is still today the God whose promise stands, the God who calls us to worship. And we'll see today that he is the God who has spoken. But more than just the fact that he has spoken, we'll also see how we ought to respond. When God speaks, then what he speaks doesn't just get filed away on a shelf to collect dust. No, because it is his speaking, the word of God, it requires a certain kind of response. Well, next week, we're going to start another short series, just four sermons on the Ten Commandments. It, it's sad to say, sad but sadly true, that a lot of Christians think of the Ten Commandments, if they think of them at all, as some archaic set of rules that really don't matter anymore. Well, very certainly the world doesn't think they matter. And again, sadly so, because there is no fundamentally good and objectively true basis for human morals apart from God's revelation. But that's a message for another time. Today, I want to speak to you as Christians, as God's people, about God's law. In a sense, all I'm going to say today is to prepare you for next week and the few weeks thereafter when we hear God's commandments to us. Note to us, not just to ancient Israel, to us, to you. Do you love God's law? I hope you do. And I hope over the coming weeks, your love for God's law will deepen. So this is the plan for today. Do keep your Bibles open in Exodus 19 and 20. And we're going to ask four questions. And then I'll close with a call to each one of us to do something in preparation for next Sunday. Okay, so four questions and one thing to do over the coming week before next Sunday. Let's start with the four questions. What are they? First, who is this God who has spoken? Second, what did he say? Third, why did he say it? And fourth, how ought you to respond? Who is this God who has spoken? 
What did he say? Why and how ought you to respond? So first then, who is this God who has spoken? Well, look in your Bibles with me at chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Well, the first thing to note is that whatever comes next is not the word of Moses. The words about to be spoken are not the personal moral preferences of an old man, nor are they the moral consensus of an ancient society. These commandments were as despised by the ancient world as they are by 21st century Britain. And the Ten Commandments about to be spoken do not change just because we are in 21st century Britain. No, these words about to be spoken are spoken by God. God the unchanging. God the never changing. But he is not just God in raw power and authority. To his people, he is the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. The promise making promise-keeping, all that is needed for promise-fulfillment-providing Lord who rescued his people, who rescued you, Christian, from slavery. Now, how did that rescue happen? Well, look back a page or so in your Bibles at verse 4 of chapter 19. Speaking to Israel, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings, brought you to myself. Well, Israel, Israel was rescued through judgment. Do you see that in verse 4? You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. That's judgment and a picture of the final judgment to come. Israel was rescued through the judgment. Judgment that came upon Egypt, the death of all the firstborn. And the judgment that came upon the Passover lamb in place of the Lord's people. Now see also in verse 4 how beautifully God describes what he rescued Israel for. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you've read The Hobbit or watched the movie, You'll remember the scene where the great eagles rescue uh, Gandalf and, and Bilbo and the dwarves from danger and carry them to safety. Now, in part, that's what's going on here. God pictures himself as an eagle who rescued his people from danger, from cruel slavery, under an overwhelmingly powerful tyrant. God rescued them from Egypt and carried them to safety. But God is saying much more than that. You see, there's a, a series of scenes painted on the inside of an ancient Egyptian temple in which one of the pharaohs is buried. And what these paintings show are eagles carrying pharaoh up to the gods, beyond the confines of earth and the grave, to immortality in the realm of the divine. Eagles were a religious symbol of transport to immortal life in the home of the gods. Now, remember, Israel had just spent 430 years in Egypt. What do you think they heard in Yahweh's words to them? I have borne you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Well, they would have heard, I have done for you what you could never do for yourself. 
you might one day have grown into a mighty nation and armed yourselves and broken free of the shackles of Egypt. You might one day have been able to make a new home for yourselves somewhere outside of Egypt. But you could never access the presence of Yahweh. But I have borne you as on the wings of eagles to myself for life, not just to another land for earthly freedom, to myself for life. So who spoke to Israel that day at Mount Sinai, friends? It was the Lord, the Lord who does not change. The Lord who rescued his people through the judgment that came upon the Passover lamb. The Lord who carried his people as on the wings of eagles to himself. Second question, what did he say? Well, you'll have to come back next Sunday and the three weeks thereafter to hear that. He spoke the Ten Commandments. Well, he spoke more than just the Ten Commandments, but we're going to focus on them for a month. Ten words for life. Next Sunday, we'll hear the first three of those commandments. The week thereafter, the fourth, the following week, number five. And finally, in a month's time, we'll hear commandments six through ten as one set. John Whittle will, be, will, um, will start us off in that series next Sunday. So that's also something to, to be looking forward to and be praying for him as he pr prepares. So a, a quick reminder of where we are. Question one, who spoke? The Lord spoke. Question two, what did he speak? He spoke the Ten Commandments, ten words for life. Question three, why? Why did he speak these Ten Commandments? Well, in calling them ten words for life, I've already given, given away the answer. They are for life. Let me explain. In chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, the Lord says to Israel, If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. You will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, you heard the if in there. If this, then that. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Now let's think about that for a moment. What does God mean by if and what does he mean you will be my treasured possession, kingdom of priests and holy nation? Well, very simply, God means that if we will trust and obey, then we will enjoy what he has already secured for us. The Lord has acted in judgment and in rescue to bring his people as on the wings of eagles to himself. And now trust and obedience will be the means by which we enjoy what he has already achieved for us. You see, the if here has nothing to do with covenant status. It has to do with covenant enjoyment. To trust and obey God is to enjoy what he has done for us. An enjoyment of God's rescue is to be a holy people, devoted to him, free from slavery to sin, free to be holy. And in being wholly devoted to him, to experience subjectively the joy of being his personal treasure, to know that you are the delight of his heart, and to enjoy the privilege of access to his presence. Now, you already 
objectively have the privilege of access to his presence. But to enjoy it is more than just to have it. I objectively have a relationship with my dad. But to enjoy it is more than just to have it. It requires an actual relationship, not just a birth certificate. And in a way, that's what's happening here in these verses. God is saying, Israel, you are mine. You have the birth certificate, but now enjoy being mine. Trust and obey me. Now, friends, let that sink in. What better life, what happier life could possibly be imagined than for this to be true in your experience? Imagine being wholly devoted to God, such that your heart never took pleasure in anything other than that which pleases God. Now, note I didn't say, imagine you could conform all your behavior to morally upright Christian behavior. No. Imagine deep down in your heart, at the very core of your soul, being totally devoted to God. Imagine, in other words, that your inner self was so shaped by the Holy Spirit that you only love what God loves. You only take joy in what God takes joy in. You only hate what God hates. Well, that would mean that your heart has been made like Jesus's heart. And what would such a life look like in action? Well, it would look like obedience to the Ten Commandments. The question we've been asking is, why did God speak these words? And the answer is, for your joy. To teach you how to enjoy what he has done for you. To teach you how to possess what he has already given you. So our three questions so far. Who spoke? The Lord. The Lord who has rescued you from slavery and death and borne you as on the wings of eagles to himself. What did he speak? Ten commandments. Ten words for life. Why did he speak those ten words? For your joy. Fourth question. How ought we to respond? Well, it's obvious now, isn't it? What does verse 5 of chapter 19 say? Trust and obey. Trust and obey, Christian. These words are your life. I wonder if that sounds like an overstatement. Well, the, the book of Deuteronomy records Moses speaking to the second generation of Israel just before he died and just before they were uh, about to enter the promised land. In chapter 32, he says to them, take to heart these words, command them to your children that they may be careful to obey all the words of this law for the law is no empty word for you, but your very life. Ten words for life. Ten words for freedom. It is the lie of all lies that obedience to God's law is restrictive, oppressive, that it is bondage, that God's law is a killjoy. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lived in perfect freedom, 
under God's law. And as soon as they stepped outside of God's law, bondage, slavery to sin and to death. Now listen to the prayer of the psalmist, again from Psalm 119. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Obedience to God's law is freedom. But here's the problem. You're unable to obey the law. Your heart is broken. Sin has broken it. And you cannot obey the law, not on your own. You see, on your own, you are already a lawbreaker. You are already on the wrong side of the law. When Moses said to the second generation of Israel that in the law, God has set before them life and death. Obey the law and have life or disobey and die. You are already in death and there's no way back to life on your own. You cannot obey. But look again at verse 5 of chapter 19 and see the good news in it. God doesn't just say, if you obey my voice, you will be my treasured possession, and so on. He says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, and keep my covenant. Well, the covenant was more than just the Ten Commandments. In fact, the covenant included a whole really detailed plan for forgiveness, for atonement, when Israel failed to keep the Ten Commandments, when they failed to obey. And that plan for forgiveness and atonement pointed forward to Jesus, who atoned perfectly for all the sins of all God's people on the cross. And more than that, the Father and the Son have now sent the Spirit to live in the hearts of God's people so that we are more than just forgiven. We are changed from the inside out. Moses prophesied it to that second generation of Israel just before they entered the land. He said, you won't be able to keep the commandments. And in generations to come, God will discipline you. He will drive you out of the land, disperse you among the nations. But one day he will bring you back. And when he does, he'll do a supernatural work in your hearts so that you want to and are enabled to obey him. Well, that's what God has done in your heart, Christian. Not only has God forgiven you for your sin because of Jesus, but he has also broken the shackles of sin from your soul. You are free, free to obey God, free to obey by the power of the Holy Spirit, the 10 words of life. So trust and obey, Christian. Trust in the covenant. Trust in the promises of God. Trust in the God who made the promises. Trust in the finished work of Christ. Trust in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your soul. Trust and obey. Trust and live. Obey and be free in the freedom Christ has purchased for you. All right. I, I said at the beginning we were going to ask four questions, and then I would close with a call to each one of us to do something in preparation for next Sunday. So let's quickly recap. Who is this God who has spoken? He is the Lord who has borne you as on the wings of eagles to himself. 
What did he speak? Ten words of life. Come back next week to hear them. Why did he speak them? For your joy. To teach you how to enjoy what he has done for you. To teach you how to possess what he has already given you. Now, how should you respond? Trust and obey. So now in closing, I'd like you to do something between now and next Sunday, but you can't leave it for next Sunday morning. <laughs> You'll have to start tonight or tomorrow at the latest. Uh, do you remember at the beginning, we prayed from Psalm 119 together? And that again, a few minutes ago, I read a bit more of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 celebrates not only the beauty of God's law, and it is beautiful. Remember, God's law is an expression of God's character in the moral realm, just as much as the stars and the galaxies are an expression of the beauty of his character in the physical realm. God's law is beautiful because it shows us who God is. But Psalm 119 also shows us the beauty of absolute devotion to God. This is a law psalm and it is a love psalm. What we see in it is more than the relationship of the writer to the law. It is the relationship of the psalmist to his God who is the giver of the law. Now, this is what I want you to do this week. What I encourage you to do to prepare your heart for next Sunday. Try to memorize one section of the psalm. It's 176 verses long. If you can do the whole thing, very, very well done. But it's 22 stanzas of eight verses each. So if you take one stanza, one section of eight verses, and try to memorize one verse a day from now until next Sunday, you can do it. And the word of God is alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. These are not just words on a page. They are words that get inside you and change you from the inside out. Words that transform you. Words that will shape your heart into a law-loving heart. A heart just like Jesus' heart. So I put that to you as something to do in preparation for next Sunday. But right now, I wonder, won't you bow your hearts with me as I close in prayer for us for today. Father God in heaven, open the eyes of our hearts that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. We are pilgrims on this earth. Hide not your commandments from us, for they are our life. Our souls are consumed with longing for your law. Your testimonies are our delight and our counselors. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. As we dwell on your word in Psalm 119 this week, open the eyes of our hearts to see wondrous things, to see the perfections of your righteousness, and in seeing to be transformed, to be made more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who we love and adore. To your glory. Amen. Amen.